Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you, and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. We're back, Dan, for our first uh, our first Friday show. Uh, I don't know if you heard the end of uh, Tommy and Lovett show on Wednesday, but Lovett said, "Will John and Dan be back?" It's a it's a I great, guess they'll be back. It's a great question. It's confusing. It's a Friday show, but we're recording this on Thursday, which is why for we are. three years you guys called the Tuesday Pod Monday Pod publicly, confusing everyone. I know, I know. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Everyone remember, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday for listeners. For us, we're going to have to think about, you know, we have a whole different recording schedule. All right. On today's show, Ron DeSantis says he's staying in the race, but his campaign doesn't seem so sure. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris kick their reelect into high gear. Donald Trump orders MAGA Mike Johnson not to cut a deal on border security. And later, we'll be joined by New Hampshire Public Radio's Josh Rogers for a preview of Tuesday's primary. First, let's talk about the state of the race in New Hampshire, where Nikki Haley is looking to score a major upset against Republican frontrunner Donald Trump, a man who's been judged a rapist by a jury of his peers and is still facing 91 felony counts for committing fraud, stealing classified secrets and trying to overturn the last election so he could remain in power. Charges he's fighting with the legal defense that presidents are allowed to commit as many crimes as they'd like, even if they, quote, cross the line according to the five this is the guy who's in the lead nikki haley is just trying to score a major upset against this guy the adjudicated rapist 91 felony counts he's facing according to the 538 polling average trump is at 47 percent in new hampshire but with nikki haley just 13 points behind nipping at his heels with 34 percent uh, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. In Portsmouth on Wednesday, Trump let loose a few uh, bird brains, his favorite uh, name for Nikki Haley. He called attention to her Indian first name, Nimarada, photoshopped a picture of her face on Hillary Clinton's body, and delivered another gracious, disciplined speech like the one we saw in Iowa on Monday night. A vote for Nikki Haley this Tuesday is a vote for Joe Biden and a Democrat Congress. The people behind Nikki Haley are pro-amnesty, they're pro-China, they're pro-open borders. You know, she wants open borders. Non-liquid gold. You know where it was? Iowa. 
It's called corn. They have, it's non-liquid. That's my day. You have more non-liquid gold. That's a nickname in its own way, but we came up with a new word for, a new couple of words for corn. I said, well, is that a hard test? It can be hard. I said, look, I got to take it because I got to shut it up. And I took it and I aced it. And let me tell you, you know, they always show you the first one, like a giraffe, a tiger, or this, or that, a whale. Which one is the whale? Okay, and that goes on for three or four, and then it gets harder and harder and harder. Of course, that's uh, Trump talking about taking a dementia test, which I think he should uh, ask for a refund. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> that is just... Anyway, that's the guy, that's the guy that, uh, you know, half the country says they want at the helm. Uh, you know, that's the, those are the, that's the kind of mental acumen that uh, allows him to just make sure that the economy is humming on all cylinders. That's what we love about him. So, Dan, color me skeptical that uh, Nikki Haley is going to be able to pull off an upset now that Trump's going all in on the attack that she's a uh, Hillary-loving globalist establishment rhino shill uh, with a funny name who, wink, wink, uh, might not have even been born here. But what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I feel you like you're leading the witness with this question. <laughs> I share your skepticism. I'm not in sh- entirely sure that Nikki Haley is trying to win at this point. I am yeah. mystified by what she is doing. She's doing one event or so a day in New Hampshire. She's really not taking questions. She's not barnstorming. She has five days left in her presidential campaign if she does not win New Hampshire. And she's not doing any of the things that someone in that position would do. She's not really fighting back. She's not laying out the stakes. She's not. I mean, you would. this would be the, the time in a campaign where you would campaign around the clock. Maybe you would sleep for four hours a night. You'd be up. You'd be at diners in the morning. Then you would go here. You'd be on a bus tour. You'd do all these things. She's doing like one event a day. It is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. Did you see that she flew back to South Carolina Tuesday night? To because her father is 90 and was in the hospital, so she wanted to um, visit her father. I guess he, he's okay. He was having cancer treatments in the hospital. So she, she loses that night, day. I guess she was back on the trail Wednesday. She's been going everywhere with Chris Sununu, uh, the governor of New Hampshire. She did uh, have this to say about Trump's latest attack on uh, Nikki Haley. Just, you know, a vote for Nikki Haley is a vote for Democrats. Let's listen. Trump says things... Americans aren't stupid to just believe what he says. The reality is, who lost the House for us? Who lost the Senate? Who lost the White House? Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Nikki Haley will win every single one of those back for us. I've proven that. Has she? Yeah, I was uh, going to say. When did she prove that? <laughs> um, she, I mean, she's not wrong about Trump, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, I don't, even, even there, I don't, I don't sense the urgency. I'm not sure what she's trying to do here. I think she's trying to land the plane where she can end this campaign with some measure of dignity without upsetting Trump to the point at which she has been completely evicted from the party going forward. I have a different take, which is that she is trying to win, but she is at her core, a cautious politician who is very afraid to rock the boat. And so she's like, I don't want to take questions because then I had the, I had the, uh, you know, what was the cause of the Civil War? They really stumped me with that one. So I don't, want, I don't want another situation where I get a tough question and it takes me off my message. But also, I don't know if I should hit Trump. I don't know what my message is. I don't want to piss off the right. I don't want to piss off the moderate. So maybe I'll just crouch down in my position and that'll be enough to win. But I mean, that's 
insane. Yes, I think yeah, she is no, an overly cautious politician. And Eve, let's even say she has decided that because she was stumped by the most basic question on a sixth grade history exam, that she's mm. decided that maybe she shouldn't take questions anymore. So do 15 events a day not taking questions. Don't do one. I mean, I there is just the electability message that she is offering now maybe could have worked if she was building a case for it over time. But she has not done that. She has not leaned into it. And even then, she does not say the thing you have to say if you want to deliver an electability message, which is, if you nominate Donald Trump, he will lose to Joe Biden. That's the thing you have to say, but she won't say that because that will anger, I don't know if she cares if he angers Trump personally, but it'll anger some people on the party. She thinks Donald Trump's probably going to beat her. She doesn't want that hanging over her. And here's the problem with waiting on the selectability message. For you and I have been talking about Republicans offering electability message on Trump for a year. Maybe we it's possible we were always wrong. And Republicans made it, including Nikki Haley, made it worse for themselves by never really being able to admit that Donald, that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. But right now she's doing this message. She decided this is what she's going to use. In the YouGov poll that came out this week, they asked people, mm. regardless of who you support, who do you think will win the election? 84% of Republicans think Donald Trump's going to win the election. They are not afraid he's going to lose. And so you need a different message. I I think that she made- uh, What do you think that message would be? Like, I don't even know what that would be. If I, did, if I didn't go with the electability one, I don't know what I would do. There's no message you can come up with today that is going to solve this problem. You needed this message for a year. If she had done, I'm not saying she could have won. I'm not, that's not the argument I'm making. But you build an argument up over time particularly for someone like Donald Trump, who is incredibly well-known and incredibly well-liked by the voters you need. The change message that she was offering in her concession slash victory slash I got third place, but it wasn't a terrible third place speech in Iowa, was a message mm. that could have been at the foundation of a more successful campaign than the one she's running. But she didn't really yeah. do that. And I do think there was one massive strategic blunder she made. And that was she should never have gone to Iowa. Mm. All the chips are in New Hampshire. She wins New Hampshire. She has a shot. The world can debate if it's a 2% shot or a 20% shot, but she stays alive to fight another day. So instead of staying in New Hampshire and, and competing where she had to win, she went to Iowa, took time to going to Iowa, and tried to possibly beat Ron DeSantis for second. And even if she had done that, she still would have lost by 30 points. Like the idea that that was going to somehow give her momentum, it was just a, it was a fundamental blunder when she should have just stayed in New Hampshire and given herself a shot to actually win that. And look, we've only seen a couple of polls. Maybe she will win New Hampshire. Seem would I would be surprised by that outcome. But she is not she has not maximized her chances by running a good campaign or being a particularly good candidate. Frankly, I don't have a strong opinion on this. I'm not sure it would have mattered if she had skipped Iowa and stayed in New Hampshire. There would have just been more pressure on her to win New Hampshire, but she needed to win it anyway and then, you know, she would have maybe gotten even lower in Iowa if she wouldn't campaign there, or maybe she wouldn't have. I don't think it fucking matters either yeah. way. She was coming in third <laughs> in Iowa under all scenarios, right? I was going to say, I don't, yeah, I just don't know that it would have mattered. Um, I, I do think, uh, I, I looked into the New Hampshire polls. It does seem like she's, even these polls where she's down by like double digits to Donald Trump, 10 points, 13 points, whatever. She's definitely gaining in these polls, the challenge for her is that Trump is gaining as well and that with Vivek out and uh, DeSantis fading, like those voters, as we've been saying for a while, are going to, they're not going to Haley, they're going to Trump. Uh, and so he's gaining just like she's gaining. 
she is winning moderates, winning the undeclared vote, which is a big portion of or could be a big portion of the electorate on Tuesday. She's winning liberals, obviously winning college educated voters. It just doesn't seem like in the polls that she's winning those groups by enough or that there are enough of them to counteract Trump's strength with conservatives, Republicans and non-college voters. And she could expand the electorate. And, and, and there are enough undeclared voters in New Hampshire for her to win. But um, that would require giving people a reason to come out to vote for <laughs> or going to meet them by doing events. Right. It, I mean, there are there are enough independent voters um, in 2012. It's kind of hard. You need to pick to f- try to give yourself a baseline that you have to pick a year in which there was only a Republican primary. But in 2012, 49, I think it was 49 percent of the electorate was independent. And one of the things that's interesting, we look at all these polls, is she down seven, down 20, is what the estimate of the independent share of the electorate is in that poll, mm. right? The CNN poll when she was down seven, it was about half. It was probably like 44%, I think. So there are enough voters there, but you can't get their own independence alone. You have to win a slice of Republicans and then overwhelmingly with the independents. And she's kind of doing neither right now. And the Trump people, of course, know that she's trying to appeal to undeclared voters, moderates, independents. And so they have an ad that they are running on MSNBC, of all places, about Nikki Haley. Let's uh, let's take a listen. Social Security, Medicare, how would you manage the entitlements? We say the rules have changed. We change retirement age to reflect life expectancy. What we do know is 65 is way too low, and we need to increase that. Increase that. Haley's plan cuts Social Security benefits for 82% of Americans. Trump will never let that happen. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Ouch. <laughs> it's really a twofer because, uh, you know, you, you run that out on MSNBC. Liberals and moderates don't like that. There's probably a bunch of conservatives that don't like that either. Because in this Republican Party, uh, you have the uh, working class voters who get really excited about sort of the uh, cultural racial issues and not as much about economics and actually probably like their social security benefits. I mean, outside of Paul Ryan's living room, you probably can't right. find a person who thinks that cutting social security and Medicare is a great idea politically yeah. or personally. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, it's, I think ironic that MSNBC wouldn't air Trump's victory speech, but we'll take his money for his ads. But you know, that's a conversation for another day. It's a, oh, it, it, it's a, uh, air the speeches, <laughs> CNN, MSNBC, air the fucking speeches. <laughs> driving just, me nuts just us furiously trying to find c-span on the cable box on monday night so we can, we can well, catch not for us even it's just like americans need to be reminded of why they hated donald trump so much what are we doing anyway go. it's crazy, it's crazy. but yeah it's it's smart they they recognize that if they can drive down her vote share even a tiny bit with independence you know how many new hampshire independents watch msnbc if you do the math based on a national basis you know it's not that many but not that many also matters. A uh, couple of my aunts. It's just, it is. I think it they're, is, they're MSNBC viewers. That's, that's right. <laughs> were, they, were they heading out to catch Ke- Haley at, uh, at the, uh, the Puritan the Diner? The Puritan back room. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah, they're going to have some chicken fingers and There's duck chicken sauce. chicken fingers in the uh, business. <laughs> it does seem like that the Trump people don't just want to beat her in New Hampshire. They want to beat her so badly that she drops out before South Carolina. It seems like they're going for the... Uh, they're going for the kill here on her, her and DeSantis. They, do, they want to end this thing after New Hampshire, which they might. Yeah, I saw a story today somewhere that said uh, Trump people targeting Super Tuesday to end the primary. I was like, that really? That seems like the worst case scenario for him at current trajectory. right? Like, how is this thing still going after South Carolina? 
unless somehow Haley beats him in South Carolina, which seems quite hard to imagine given her performance in Iowa, which is moderate compared to South Carolina in terms of the electorate. Yeah, well, she's going to get that boost uh, coming in a close second in New Hampshire. You see that, like, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire, last month was saying, like, guarantee that Nikki Haley is going to win New Hampshire. And, like, this week he was like, um, I mean, a strong second is all we ever r- really hope for here. Yeah, which tells you everything about their internal polling. I know. Uh, so we also got to talk about our boy Tiny D, uh, who finished 30 points behind Trump in Iowa, didn't win a single county. DeSantis is now apparently skipping New Hampshire, where he's only at 5% in the polls. And his never back down super PAC is, in fact, backing down by laying off a bunch of staff. So DeSantis is telling reporters he's staying in the race through March. I don't actually see that happening, do you? I mean, it's really an existential question. Is he still in the race right now? <laughs> I mean, no one's thinking about him. His obituary has been written. He's not in debates. No one's really talking about him. So, yeah, I mean, I guess. It's really, I mean, it's really, really a sixth sense ending here. Yeah, I was, I, <laughs> I, you know, I thought really long and hard about bringing the sixth sense up because and he really. You, you didn't want to, you didn't want a spoiler. Is that what I it was? was tr- or you just, I think, actually, just think it's dating the reference. It's I don't dated. mind, like, look, I, I, I know my age. I don't mind dating my references at all. But I was sort of like, what is the. <laughs> the statute of limitations on spoiling a movie and there's no way to make the joke without spoiling the one of the greatest yeah. twists well you know what we did it we did that was not a it was not a spoil that was yeah. just, we just sort of we did we did it yeah so did you read mark caputo's story in the messenger about how uh trump crushed desantis it's this great like it, it's the type of story that's written after this candidate drops out uh but it's sort of it's a pre-obituary and it's just got i, I have rarely seen so many consultants and campaign staff throw the candidate under the bus before the campaign has even ended. I have some thoughts on the story. Okay. One, I have rarely seen a reporter write a piece with more obvious dripping disdain for the subject than Mark Caputo <laughs> clearly has for Ron DeSantis. I mean, That's true. That's it was true. it was not subtle in any way, shape, or form how he felt about him. And they, one of the tells was that in this piece where he quotes, he basically talks to anyone who has ever worked for or known Ron DeSantis to get them to crap on Ron DeSantis. But then the lead quote in the story is just from Chris Lasavita, Trump's campaign guy now just dumping on Ron DeSantis like totally unnecessary did not need it to be done it just like lead the story with him just basically destroying DeSantis in print it's just it was a wild story second thing I'd say about the story is fascinating story very well written you know full of interesting things and while the details were new I was surprised by none of it which shows what a horrendous campaign that DeSantis ran that we his campaign was leaking all this stuff there were he had obituaries written about his campaign every two months for a year. And so when we got to this, I was not at all surprised by it. I was like, yeah, I, I, none of that, none of that's shocking. I, it makes complete sense. Some of those anecdotes we kind of knew, you know, various versions of because his, the only people who hated Ron DeSantis more than the people of Iowa and New Hampshire were his staff who have been crapping on him to reporters the whole time. And the consultants who were at least being paid well. But we have one consultant that said uh, no one tells him he's wrong. Another consultant said, you know, he ignored calls too early to stay more focused on the economy and sound more positive. Uh, He was told by advisors, DeSantis was told by his advisors that interactions with voters were crucial and that he needed to seem more relatable to voters. DeSantis's response, quote, 
people don't care about that stuff. <laughs> he was told by his pollster that the six-week ban, abortion ban, would be uh, quite bad and not popular. He disagreed. Uh, one consultant said the Twitter launch was a disaster. Remember the Twitter launch? Remember with uh, with his ex launch with Elon Musk and the uh, and the besties and the All In Pod. <laughs> yes. They were uh, that, remember that that was fun. Uh, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the podcast election, Dan. It's gonna be the, <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they think. Uh, they told him to stop talking about Florida so much, and then the consultant said, "Whoever advised him to go on Christian TV and say he wanted to have dinner with Jesus should be fired. This campaign is like an Irish wake waiting for the body to drop." Yeah, <laughs> that's that's I'm the done. best that line. That was just my favorite. I love that line. I love that line. I have heard rumors that he's actually having conversations about whether to uh, stay in, despite what he well, well, pause. Say. Pause. You've heard rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I have where, some sources. Are you are you doing reporting now? I am doing reporting, yeah, just okay. accidentally, accidental right. reporting, <laughs> accidental <laughs> reporting from text conversations. <laughs> like, did you? I'm sure he's thinking of how to wind this thing down, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. I just don't. I think it seems like they don't. They're not gonna have the money. There was apparently a, an NBC had a story. There was a call with donors where they said, "We think we'll probably be able to raise the money to stay until until South Carolina." Not a chance. There's not a not a Which person. Is like, is if you're saying that you think you think you might be able to raise the money to stay into South Carolina, you probably can't raise the money to stay into South Carolina. Who's going to give that campaign money right now? That is the one thing you always know. When a campaign ever says, "I think we can raise the money," they definitely cannot. Yeah, right? it's, no, it's, it's it's over. It has been over for months. It probably never started. To be fair, <laughs> and everyone has known it. It has been, it's just the only person, and even Ron DeSantis seems to have known it because he was, he had such joy at coming in second. And I'm using joy in the most Ron DeSantis version of that, which is it just seemed to briefly stop hating himself. And the smile just turned, the corners of his mouth just yes. turned up just a little. <laughs> yeah. like just, just It was just like a, re- a little bit more. It was just like a relief that something not absolutely horrendous happened on the way out. And it just says everything that that not horrendous thing was losing by 30 points, not more. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is a there are, there are probably some object lessons that we can talk about, about why this was his campaign was such a disaster and what it says about politics. Um, but there's no question it was an absolute disaster. Some of you might be wondering, why do we just spend so long talking about Ron DeSantis? And look, it's going to be a long and brutal campaign. There's going to be a lot of tough days. I wanted to dance on his grave for a little bit. <laughs> I, I had fun. I don't know about you. I think we deserve that, Dan. Yeah, I, the that. listeners deserve that. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Yeah, this yeah. is fan service. Yeah, there's not, I don't think there's anyone out there complaining about this. <laughs> a few quick housekeeping notes. Uh, Dan, great second episode of The Polar Coaster. I, uh, I listened this week. I was catching up on all my podcasts from when I was on parental leave. You talked to Sarah Longwell, one of our favorites to answer the question, can any Republican beat Trump? <laughs> listen, listen, Spoiler. <laughs> listen before Tuesday. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you should be listening to all the Polar Coaster episodes. You should be subscribing to Friends of the Pod so you can get this fantastic content. Uh, it's Dan talking to some of the smartest people in polling, some of the smartest strategists. It's a fantastic show. Uh, it's a subscriber-exclusive series, so make sure to head to cricket.com slash friends to get first access to new episodes and more. Anything else you'd like to add, Dan, or did I did I plug that? Well I, thought you, I thought you did a great job, but as as we always say, if you're if you someone like us who is going to live and die with every one of these polls, you want to know what's happening, you want to dig deep, you're a junkie. If you're a, poll, if you're a polling junkie, 
this show's for you. Mm. There you go. There you go. Also, we are officially in an election year, which means it's time to get psyched up with some fresh Vote Save America gear. Uh, grab a new tee for your next volunteer shift or a crew neck that's been specially designed for peak phone banking performance. <laughs> Plus 100% of profits from the Vote Save America. 100% of profits from the Vote Save America collection go straight towards supporting Vote Save America and grassroots organizations that are helping Americans get the tools they need to make a difference. Head to crooked.com store to shop now. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you, and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Before we move on, uh, it looks like the Biden campaign is finally kicking into high gear. They're running their first ads in South Carolina ahead of the primary there on February 3rd, uh, the first primary that counts for Democrats. Uh, And the campaign also announced that President Biden, the first lady, Vice President Harris and the second gentleman will be holding a rally focused on abortion rights in northern Virginia on Tuesday, the day of the New Hampshire primary and the day after the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Uh, What's your take on the thinking behind the timing, location, and focus of this event? I think it is smart to have a display of political strength and enthusiasm on the day of the New Hampshire primary. There are no delegates at stake. Biden is not on the ballot, but there are Democrats organizing a write-in Joe Biden writing campaign. Mm -hmm. Dean Phillips is a person who still exists, and he's running up there. Um, Marianne Williamson, believe it or not, is still She's on the ballot up there. Um, and usually, mostly polling ahead of Dean Phillips, wherever yes. they do polling. Yes, that is, that is true. <laughs> Though I'm not entirely sure she's campaigning. I haven't heard anything about that, but no. she, is, she is on the yeah. ballot. So there is going to be some coverage of how Joe Biden does in that primary. And so you let's get some. And Trump's also going to likely have a triumphant New Hampshire rally. And so it's time to start getting images of Biden out there at the same time to deliver his message and have a contrast message to Trump and the Republicans that goes along there. I'm, I'm assuming the location is because it's in Virginia close. and close to the White House. <laughs> and so, uh, but What do you think it, about all four of them doing it together? It look they there is nothing harder than getting attention, right? Say, it is, yeah. and so they they are out there doing everything they possibly can to get this 
very challenging media environment, this diminished press corps to turn around and cover them and give it attention. And so this is one of those tools in the in the toolbox that you can use is get them all together is it makes it seem different than just the normal Joe Biden rally that does not get the attention that a Trump rally does for reasons that are entirely unfair uh, and very troubling, but that but are a fact. And so this like the word we would if they just announced that Joe Biden was going to be speaking on abortion in Virginia on Tuesday. I'm not sure we would spend as much time talking about it as them saying all four, like that they are sending a signal to us in the press and everyone else that this is a big deal. So pay attention. And we will. You think they're going to do it at night to like counter program whatever happens with the New Hampshire results? Should they do it at night? Does it matter? I, I don't know. I don't think it matters that much. I would hope that they would try to. I mean, he's the president of the United States. So if he holds a big rally with, you know, the vice president and, and their partners uh, at night, the night of the New Hampshire primary, you would hope that all the networks would cut to that and show some footage from it. I mean, you would, but man, those the the Iowa ratings for the cable networks were so depressingly low that I'm not entirely sure it's worth it. No, I think it's I I totally agree with uh, focusing on you know kicking off the the general election, focusing on abortion, especially around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. I think that's really smart. I do have a question for you. I mentioned earlier that Trump said today that presidents must have complete and total immunity from prosecution for any crime they commit in office, uh, which is an even more extreme version of the argument uh, his lawyers have made in court. They said presidents can be prosecuted if they've been impeached, which also seems silly. I feel like it's important for voters to know that the guy they may elect uh, thinks he has the legal right to have them all killed. Or is that just crazy? Or is that is that not kitchen table enough? (laughs) For voters, when, until <laughs> until you get the price of eggs below a certain level, you cannot discuss this. No, I, no, I think it. I think it is a. It is part of the argument, and <laughs> yes, I I agree. And I, there's a it, how you make the argument matters. I was looking at this uh, when Trump's lawyers suggested that he could send SEAL Team Six to kill his political mm. opponent and not be prosecuted yeah. for it um, in court. An in a few weeks classic ago. already. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I my and so I went back and looked at polling a message testing on it, and it, there was some message testing that our friends at Navigator did about Trump's first original indictment in. Saying that no one should be above the law, even presidents, is a very, very powerful argument. And so Trump arguing that he should be above the law is, I think, an argument that Kennan should be made in this campaign. And maybe Biden will make it on Tuesday. I don't know. You know what I bet another powerful argument is? I bet people don't like the idea of the uh, person they elect president being able to kill them. I, I don't know. I throw that one in a poll. I bet it would go. I bet it would test pretty high. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's definitely not popular to want the president to kill you, but it's going to be more popular than you think. Well, here's the thing: is I'm sure people are going to test like, do you care about the president or 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 the politicians in general arresting or indicting political opponents? And because no one really likes politicians anyway, I'm sure that would not be that popular. But I, I do think that the the way to frame this is Donald Trump is basically out there saying I can do anything I want to people who disagree with me can be can be Joe Biden can be Joe Schmo you know like he thinks he is above the law and can use the powers of the presidency to do anything he wants and if you do not agree with him even if you did work look at the way Donald Trump has treated the people who work for him the people who are his loyalists it's not even like he loves Republicans and hates Democrats if you cross Donald Trump at all he uh, he's coming for you. 
And now he thinks he is completely above the law and can do whatever the fuck he wants. Infinite crimes. That's, that's what Donald Trump thinks he d- deserves. I don't know. I would make that case. He tried to murder his vice president. Just this one he did, relevant, one say, relevant yeah. example. So I, I, would, I would get on that. I hope, and I realize it's, it's tough, too, because I'm sure the Biden folks don't want to comment on the cases. I know they have to be careful of that. But I think when, when Donald Trump is truthing all kinds of crazy shit, that is outside the, um, the, what's happening in the courtroom. And I think that's very much fair game. Can I say one more thing about this before yeah, you go? On? Is, you know, we had our New Year's resolution episode a few weeks ago. And one of my New Year's resolutions was to improve my attention span. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 days after that, I set up Twitter alerts for this bot that sends you, that posts on Twitter, Trump's truth social posts. Oh, yeah. Are you you set up an alert for that? Yeah. Oof. Well, John, I'm where this is my job and I take it seriously. <laughs> I follow that account. I'm, I'm so glad someone finally did it because trying to find the truths on truth social is a pain in the ass. Well, it's what my takeaway from that other than the possible damage I'm doing to my brain from it is mm. people need to know what's happening on there. It's wild. Yeah. MSNBC, CNN. This is what I'm saying. It's not being covered. <laughs> they do it. They, no, they, it's not being covered. Now that Trump is the presumptive, essentially the presumptive after Tuesday, the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party, every one of those true socials should be covered as his tweets were covered in 20 from 2015 till the day he was kicked off Twitter the first time. We're going to be sleepwalking into a second Trump term because no one wanted to platform him. uh, We all we are all sleepwalking on it. It was just it was like Jamie Dimon the other day talking about how Trump's probably going to win. And yeah, I mean, just like all he's going to get a huge tax cut. So I'm sure he wants that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just people should follow. I'm not saying people you don't have to go on Truth Social. Check out this Twitter account. See what's happening there. If you're a reporter, report on it because voters should know that it is crazier than ever. And that is not coming through in the coverage. Uh, Believe it or not, there's still a loose attempt at governing happening in Washington right now. It looks like Congress just barely avoided a government shutdown by passing yet another temporary funding bill uh, that's going to give them until March 1st and March 8th to fully fund the government. That's going to be a fun week. Uh, State of the Union, March 7th, and then a government funding deadline on March 8th. Good times. Meanwhile, all four congressional leaders met with Biden on Wednesday to see if they could agree on an aid package to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan in exchange for stricter border and immigration policies. Whew, win-win all around. Uh, Democrats left the meeting saying they were optimistic about a deal. Some of the reporting was a little less positive, and this is what we heard from uh, Speaker Mike Johnson on Laura Ingram's show. The, the president actually uh, just got off the phone with me right before the show, and he said he has spoken to you about this deal and that he is against it, and he urged you to be against this deal. He was extremely, President Trump was extremely adamant about that. Um, your reaction to that, given the fact that, look, he already he knows how to do this enforcement stuff. You don't need some new bill coming out of the, uh, the Senate to get the border enforced. Yeah, President Trump is not wrong. He and I have been talking about this um, uh, pretty frequently. I talked to him uh, night before last about the same subject. We don't have the text of whatever the Senate has cooked up yet. And, and so we have to reserve judgment, I think, to see what comes out of it. Dad says no. Sorry. Boss says I can't do it. <laughs> and you know what? He doesn't. Bill's out of Congress. He doesn't need any laws. He's, uh, he's got total and complete immunity. These guys, there's a dictator. He's going to come into office. He's going to fix the border. He didn't need Congress. He's probably going to dissolve Congress by the time he gets there. 
Trump followed up with a, I'm sure you know, I don't know who am I telling, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, you got the alert, uh, <laughs> followed up with a truth where he did say, he admitted that he told Mike Johnson not to, uh, not to cut a deal unless it was perfect. We haven't talked about this in a while, but what do you think the chances are something gets done at this point? And, uh, and then how do you think Biden and the Democrats should handle the politics around this? It, I mean, there is always a chance that Trump and Mike Johnson's statement simply just creates more negotiating leverage for the Republicans. So I think this is going to work in two steps. I think that the Senate Republicans and the White House and the Senate Democrats are thinking about this separate and apart from the House. They're going to get the best deal they can from both people's perspective. And then they're just going to hope something good happens in the House. That seems unlikely, I would say, that that happens. <laughs> uh, doesn't seem great. Um, and you know, someone once said to me that there are two kinds of politics in the in the Congress. There's micropolitics and macropolitics. And the micropolitics are the politics of how you keep your speakership, how you move up in leadership, how you keep the caucus happy. And then the macropolitics are how you win control of the House, what's going to happen in the midterms, elections, national political trends. This is both micro and macro politics for Mike Johnson because the micro politics are he's already he's got a uh, he's passed he just passed the CR which he said he was not going to do he stuck with the Senate the with the Dealey Cup with Chuck Schumer but she said he was not going to do he has a majority of basically zero right now he's got no yeah. margin for error only one person can knock him out and so he's obviously going to have to it seems impossible in that scenario he's going to cut some sort of border deal that does not make the Freedom Caucus happy. Like you can, you can upset the border, ca- the Freedom Caucus on government funding or debt ceiling or these things maybe once or twice, but you're never, you can never upset them on immigration. That's the one thing that you cannot do. And so that seems unlikely. From a macro perspective, it seems very clear that what the Republic, Republicans would rather have a crisis at the border than sol- for the election than solve the problem. And that's definitely what Trump is thinking. Right. If Trump was thinking in terms of being a president, then it would be great to get this off his plate. He doesn't have to deal with it. Right. And be and be confident that he and Fox News could lie enough about the crisis at the border to keep all the politics of it and then have a solution waiting for him. But he plans on running on a crisis at the border, and he doesn't want to give Biden any chance to cut a deal that he could then say he did something good for the border. And so with that in mind, it seems unlikely something's going to happen. And some of the Senate Republicans that have been negotiating this deal have said that they'll never get a deal like this under Trump, because even if Trump wins and Republicans have the Senate, they're not going to have 60 votes in the Senate. And so why would Democrats ever decide to do a deal on the border when Trump is president, Republicans control Congress? And so that you got a lot of Republicans, John Thune, Lindsey Graham, all these people saying like, hey, take this deal. This is the best deal we're going to get. But like you said, Trump and Mike Johnson and the MAGA folks, they want the issue. Uh, and if I were Biden and this thing falls apart in the House, I might go out there and say, look, I want to fix the border. I think it's a problem. But the, the speaker and, and Donald Trump and the MAGA wing of the party have basically forbid Republicans from working with us to fix the problem because they care more about winning the next election. They don't care about fixing the problem. And that's exactly the problem with the Republican Party right now is that they are there is an extreme faction that doesn't want to solve problems that just wants to play games. That is 100 percent right. Get this deal. Help get this deal across the finish line. Talk about the deal, announce the deal, talk about the deal in the State of the Union, and then hammer, if the Republicans are really not going to, if the House Republicans are really not going to do anything, hammer the living shit out of them for refusing to solve the problem. And do that from now until November. And then when you're on a debate stage with Donald Trump, a moment that gives me, makes my blood pressure spike, uh, (laughs) that's a moment, right? 
We yeah. had a deal to deal from, and then you, because you were cared more about winning this election than helping America, the American people, you called up the House Republicans and told them not to do the deal, even though it was a bipartisan deal with the support of blah blah blah. You know, like there was a there's a yeah. way to do this. It's a this would be a the best thing for, for everyone would be to get a deal and get it done, and because you get to saw you get to help on the border, Ukraine funding, Israel funding, the natural disaster funding, all of those things. But if if the House Republicans block it, make them pay for it because it will help you against Trump. Yeah. And I think, and look, Biden, it's the issue he pulls the worst on is immigration and the border. And this, I don't think it solves the problem for him, but this is what he can say about immigration for now for an entire campaign, which is one of the great vulnerabilities. And it happens to be not only the truth, but what Republicans have been doing for decades, which is every time we get close to comprehensive immigration reform that would give a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants and, and, you know, and strengthen border security, it's Republicans that end up tanking the deal because they would rather demagogue the issue. And I think voters will get that. We should stipulate, we don't know exactly what's going to end up in this deal, I'm positive mm. it's going to have a lot of things that we don't like in it and are yeah. probably not great policy and would very much in a different world with a different Senate, if we different house, have a much better deal. Um, but also Biden is is operating in divided government, right? With a 50, with a Senate with no margin of error and ability, he's trying to do a whole bunch of things. So the deal is going to not be awesome. But if Republicans are going, if it's going to be a bipartisan deal, Republicans are going to block it. We should make them pay for doing that. Well, and this is why I think it's even less likely that something gets done, because this is one where even if Mike Johnson, for some reason, decided to put the deal on the floor, unlike some of these government funding bills, I don't know that their Democratic votes are there to save him, because I think there's going to be a lot of stuff in this bill that progressives don't like. I think Jayapal said that like a uh, hundred members of the Progressive Caucus are going to vote against uh, what their a deal. They don't know the details yet of what the deals would be, but at least the outlines of what they're hearing. And you know, I'm not sure they should vote for it, right? Uh, though I'd have to see what the final details are. But so, like, I don't. That's it. Just seems very unlikely that this gets done. Uh, another big win for Washington. Okay, when we come back, Dan talks to New Hampshire Public Radio's Josh Rogers about what the primary is looking like on the ground in the Granite State. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you, and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop
The New Hampshire primary is this coming Tuesday, and there are now just three Republicans left standing. Joining us to talk all things Granite State is New Hampshire Public Radio senior political reporter Josh Rogers. He's one of the smartest, most experienced reporters in the state. Welcome to the pod, Josh. Good to be here. Give us a little picture of what it's like on the ground. The folks who were in Iowa told me that it didn't really feel like a typical Iowa caucus. It felt more subdued. They saw less activity from the campaigns. What's it like in New Hampshire? Does this feel like a normal New Hampshire primary or something different? Um, It definitely is more subdued. I mean, today, uh, five days before the primary, uh, one campaign event involving a a significant candidate, Nikki Haley, had a morning event. That's it. Uh, Dean Phillips is going to be at Dartmouth this evening with Andrew Yang, but it's kind of sleepy. And, um, you know, it's been that way for some time. I mean, Haley's been trying to marshal support and not... uh, not doing terribly many events and not taking questions from crowds, not really engaging with the media in the way that people in New Hampshire say is important, whether or not it still is, you know, who's to know. Is there anything you attribute that to? Which, I mean, this is do or die for Nikki Haley. If, we don't, if she doesn't beat Trump here, there's, it's hard to see another place where she does it. So why are people not campaigning at the same level? I don't know. I mean, she has been obviously trying to build a coalition uh, that could beat former President Trump here, and it's a tough go when you are not the most popular candidate within your own party. And so, you know, the fact that President Biden's not running um, means that independent voters, undeclareders are called here, who can vote in either primary, are, you know, probably likely to vote in higher numbers in the um, on the Republican side. Uh, but building your campaign around appealing to those people, and that's kind of what she has to do by necessity in New Hampshire, given Trump's continued apparent grip on the party base, uh, it's hard. And, you know, she's had Governor Sununu by her side, and he had been for weeks saying, oh, you know, Trump is done. New Hampshire is going to, we'll take him out. I mean, now he's indicating that a second place would be good here. So it's, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, voters can surprise you, but you don't feel a a huge amount of momentum. I mean, Haley certainly had been building momentum. Um, You know, I was out talking to voters yesterday, and, and, you know, there are plenty of people who will vote for her, but uh, whether or not she can catch Trump, we'll see. When you go to a Nikki Haley event, who do you see there? Because I know anyone who covers New Hampshire politics, you see a lot of the same faces at all these events. Are these established Republican activists or the independents you don't normally see? Like, what is that attendance like? It's a mix. I mean, there certainly are a fair number of Republicans, uh, kind of the card-carrying variety, who are not necessarily wild about Donald Trump returning to the White House. Um, You see some of those people at her events. You see some curiosity seekers. Uh, You see some Democrats even who don't want Trump to get reelected and are checking out his strongest rival in New Hampshire, at least. Um, But again, in order for her to catch Trump, it does seem that she's going to have to mobilize people who are atypical primary voters. And you know that's tough. I mean, she has, there's you know they've got AFP for AFP action out knocking doors. I mean, they believe that the turnout for uh, the Republican primary is going to be record setting. They ought to hope it is if they uh, want Nikki Haley to keep this tight and maybe even win. Um, but they're they're you know they're people they're people checking Nikki Haley out. But she gives a very disciplined, almost rote campaign speech at this point. So if you have seen her before and you're not totally on board, you're not going to see much new. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I do personally wonder where, where she may have, whether she may have kind of crested in terms of her popularity some time ago. And the fact that you've had Trump here every other day, you know, really going after her at this point probably doesn't help her with the sort of Republican activists. Now, DeSantis has been a little 
It's not entirely clear what his plan is. He said he was going to South Carolina after Iowa, but then has been, is he's da- I think he's off the air in Iowa, at least DeSantis allies are, but he's been there a couple of times. Is he like, what is the nature? Is he trying to compete there? What's he doing? I, I mean, I don't, you know, he, I don't, I don't get the sense he is. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of, he's not spending any money here. His trajectory has been downward for some time. I mean, when, you know, when, when the, this race first started, there were some polls in New Hampshire that, that showed him beating. Trump and it's just you know he's just sort of deflated he he hasn't really connected with voters here there are some conservatives who like him but he's not good on the campaign trail um you know there've been management issues with his campaign and his finances uh but you know the case he's been making that I'm a Trump like candidate who has actually delivered is not something that's galvanized the voters he needs In Iowa, there was a lot of talk, at least before the caucus, that unlike 2016, Trump had professionalized his operation. He had precinct captains in every precinct. They're all wearing these gold MAGA hats to stand out. How does his 2024 New Hampshire campaign compare to the 2016 version? I mean, that remains a little opaque to me personally. I mean, I've been assured by the campaign that this is really a top-notch improvement and that they were, you know, really just running on, like, as the state campaign chairman told me the other day, raw energy. And now they believe they've channeled it and they do have a more granular organization and that there are town chairs and county chairs and, you know, they're all in communication. Um, You know, that's from a largely opaque um, to me. I mean, he you know, Trump is campaigning here a lot in the in the closing days, but he hasn't been here a heck of a lot. He has these massive rallies. It draws you know fans from across New England, and um, but you know it it does. I am told that they are more organized. They have had they have the resources. They've had more time. I mean, whether or not he needs to be organized is is another question. I mean, I'm not seeing any indications that it's going to be really about, you know, flipping the switch on some sort of turnout operation for him. That, yeah, I guess you know, he, he support, need that organization. The support, the support seems to be there. And, you know, more than simply the support seems to be there. There is not, you know, kind of the autoimmune response that, that his rivals hoped would kind of trigger uh, activists to, to, you know, ditch him. That, that's just not happened. You you said the Haley folks are claiming there's going to be quote unquote record turnout. Is that what you expect? If you hear anything from state officials about what they're thinking, I mean, I think they're thinking that the Republican turnout could be high given uh, the nature of this election. And it is weird with uh, Trump running. I mean, there is you know he attracts people and he repels people, and some of that repulsion will actually attract participation in the Republican primary. So I, I don't know for sure. I mean, the the um, you know, I, I was out there talking to voters in Rockingham County, which is uh, a place where Republicans, you know, tend to rack up a lot of votes yesterday. And, you know, I heard as much sort of dyspepsia about the, the coming general election that people see between Trump and Biden as much as engagement in this primary. I mean, I, t- I did talk to a, a fellow who said, you know, he was on the fence whether he was going to vote DeSantis or Trump. And, you know, I talked to plenty of people who complained about their mailboxes being clogged with Nikki Haley mailers um, and some enthusiasm for her as well. But uh, there's there is a sense, and and we'll see if it's true that that you know there's not going to be much suspense in this on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Haley gets close. I mean, maybe I mean it's not impossible that she wins. I mean, given the electorate, but it seems like a stretch. It feels like a stretch, and um, you know she doesn't really seem to be going for it. I mean, you know, this is a New Hampshire primary where there will not have been a debate 
in the entire week between Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, you don't feel it out there on the streets, whether or not that whether or not, you know, you need to feel it on the streets. I don't know. There right. may be ways to mobilize voters that 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 are happening and will be effective. Um, you know, there should be a decent turnout. Yeah, that was the big question in Iowa. There are a lot of people were saying we're not feeling it in the streets. It doesn't feel like 2020 or 2016 or 2008 or whatever. But and the th- thought was maybe we are maybe there it's happened happening digitally. But then turnout was you know down 40. I mean the weather from, was pretty rough too. But yeah, you so know, hard to but, right. This will be a little test of whether uh, New Hampshire turnout will be an interesting test of whether that was the weather or there was really a sort of a disengagement for whatever reason because Trump's going to win or. You know, that'll be a question. Let's talk a little bit about the Democratic side. Sure. I want to ask you about there was a lot of thought when the DNC uh, changed the New Hampshire primary and took its delegates away, that that would have a real impact on President Biden in the general election. Are you, are you hearing a lot of blowback towards President Biden over that? I mean, some in the most kind of parochial manner imaginable that, you know, he took away our primary. How could we possibly support him? But, you know, it's hard to know. I mean, I think that, you know, the the, the Biden folks perhaps rightfully make the calculation that um, the, 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 the specter of Trump will motivate people to turn out uh, in a way that might be more pronounced than anything they could gin up on their own. But, you know, they have, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that he's not on the ballot here, they have you know, coincidentally, clearly sent up a number of cabinet officials in the last few weeks to, you know, sort of tout things that have happened in New Hampshire on Biden's watch. Uh, The right in Biden campaign is, you know, bringing in people from across the country, either via Zoom and Skype and the like, or with real events. I attended a a, a, a organizing event with Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey, and I will say I was surprised at the number of people who were there, uh, as were, you know, party officials who were there. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Like, this is not, New Hampshire is not, you know, it's been a good state for Democrats in general elections. I mean, the last Republican to win here was was George W. Bush uh, the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so it's a state that, that you know, Democrats have done pretty well in. But, you know, there are some people who are worried that the trickle-down effect of a lack of organization early um, and that's that's one of the motivations of the right in Biden people. And, you know, they also have this motivation that, you know, if New Hampshire folks prove that they are really dedicated to President Biden and to participation and to doing their civic duty, that, you know, perhaps the TNC <laughs> might end up reversing course in the future, which, you know, it strikes me as far fetched. But like, that's what they're telling themselves. And they're saying, like, you know, New Hampshire you know, we'll have a story to tell about what happened here. So uh, we'll we'll see. I mean, a lot of these folks, you know, the New Hampshire primary is kind of a baby boomer thing in some ways. Like you think about the politicians who their families, you know, the Sununus, you know, Gene Shaheen, you know, those people in some ways made by their participation in the New Hampshire primary. And for people of that generation, um, you know, this is a very big deal. One thing I've been trying to figure out whether people who aren't really intimately involved and may even have a financial stake in the primary being first here, how much they care. And it's it's unclear to me how many people who aren't really involved in politics much care about this. Talk to me a little bit about what Dean Phillips is trying to accomplish up in New Hampshire, even though there are no delegates that he can win there. Well, I mean, he said he's trying to, you know, send a message. And when he, and, you know, he, I mean, his name does come up. He's been campaigning. I mean, sometimes, it's a little pathetic, uh, the <laughs> the lack of response he's getting. I mean, um, but, 
and you know maybe there maybe he'd be getting a more response if 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 he was you know arguing more on a more policy grounds or some sort of like ideological basis why he should be running i mean just like arguing about the citing polls that suggest that you know president biden could be uh weak in november you know doesn't seem to be moving people i mean you know I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Dean Phillips's personal story. I mean, he seems, I don't know. Like when I first met him, I was like, oh, he would be a fine board member for New Hampshire Public Radio. I didn't say, oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a president kind of thing. And, right. you know, he's out there trying, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it was, it's odd. There's been this, there have been some national stories about an effort among some liberal donors and activists to try to get people to write ceasefire on the ballot in protest of what's happening in Gaza. Have you heard anything about that on the ground in New Hampshire? Well, I mean, I've heard about it. I have not spoken with enough people to know how much. I mean, the, the person behind this is, is a man named Andrew Valinsky. He ran for governor a couple of years ago. He's a sort of liberal uh, lawyer and activist. And, um, you know, he's uh, was a Sanders supporter. He's, he's trying to do this. Um, I haven't done reporting to know how much there is there, but, you know, it is an interesting wrinkle. I mean, one thing that our election officials are gearing up for is like how to count the projected number of write-in ballots in a timely fashion. And the Secretary of State has said, oh, you know, Republican uh, results will be allowed to be announced before Democrat okay. results if 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 the if the counting uh, goes long. I mean, they believe they can count all these things. And I don't know whether, you know, the ceasefire thing will complicate that in any way. But, you know, it, it, it's also hard to know what the perception needs to be for what, so what sort of number does Biden need to get? I mean, you know, obviously people like to invoke, you know, LBJ and Eugene McCarthy, but, you know, the right in Biden people say, oh, you know, all he needs to do is win. And this is about pointing us towards November as much as it is, you know, what happens here, particularly given that there will be no delegates awarded per the DNC. Well, as someone who is scheduled to record a podcast after the race is called, I'm glad to know that there's a chance they're, they're not going to let the write-in campaign slow down the calling of the Republic, Republican results. Josh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Good luck. Thanks to Josh Rogers for joining us today. Everyone have a fantastic weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. If you want to get ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and more, consider joining our Friends of the Pod subscription community at crooked.com slash friends. And if you're already doom scrolling, don't forget to follow us at Pod Save America on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for access to full episodes, bonus content, and more. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review. Give us your own takes. Hey, give us a review. Give us your takes on our takes. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producer is Farah Safari. Writing support from Hallie Kiefer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGrote is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolls, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly Lobel.